Welcome to episode 610 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 610 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Good, thanks. Yeah, you good? Why is that? I drove, drove out this morning and I was just feeling a bit under the weather. Yeah. And I was quite pleased to do that because it would have been either a bit of cyclocross to get up here or riding on the footpath, oh, which, is, of course, which yeah. is one of my detests. Riding three abreast, you simply never do it. And riding on the footpath, not a big fan, but I would have had to because there's a bit of road works. Why ain't you a fan? Because it's for walkers? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a footpath, exactly. yes. not a wheel path. Exactly. There you go. There you go. John Newsom's theory on footpaths. Um, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. It's your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jombo. Andrew Nightmoves Seeger. We've got Rob the Greater Cummings. And Stuart Quantum Leap Mills. That's one of the new ones too. Good, good old Quantum Leap. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got a pretty cool statistic, actually. And then we've got a great interview, John. Cody Beals. So if you haven't heard of him, he's a 70.3 athlete. And he publishes all his income and expenditure on his uh, blog. And it's got a pretty great blog, not just on that topic, but yeah. like on everything, isn't it? Yeah, very good conversation. The guy's got his head screwed on and has been getting some good results. You, you, you triggered Siri. Did I? Yep. Siri's like, what's happening? Yeah. Siri, smack Bevan in the face. <laughs> 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 Works. Okay. Uh, winger of the week and questions and answers at the end. Jombo, it's new season, but let's be honest, not much happening in the news right now, is there there? Is not. So we had a 70.3 over in the Philippines at the weekend. Uh, Radka Karafelt, um has made a comeback. So I think last week or the week before we were discussing that her husband, Brad Carterfelt, has retired. So mm. she's got to go back out there and earn the money. Yeah, someone's going to feed the family. I think it's only three months since she's had her baby. And uh, she went out there and absolutely crushed it by 11 minutes. So she's Czech. She is, but they live in Australia. Yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they spend their time there. Yeah. Uh, on the guys' side of things, um, Mauricio Mendes uh, took out the race. Very strong field, uh, outrunning yeah. Tim Tim Reed and Tim Van Burkle, Craig Alexander fourth, and Bradley Weiss fifth. So so. Mendes, is that a name you know, John? It is. He's a 70.3 champ. So he won, not 70.3, a um, Xterra champ. He won. Oh, that's ready too. Yep. And the guy got second one as well, hasn't he? Uh, well, the guy who got second was Tim Reed. So he's a seventy point three world champion. Uh, Bradley Vice, I think. Yeah, Vice has won next year. I think he won last yeah, year. Yeah. So, that is your racing news for the weekend in terms of uh, medium to long course. Well, coming up, the hit series is still alive, John. It, it's. It, it would be interesting post race to see the numbers because it. But no, the thing, thing is, it's a it's a it's a local race, and I mean, I just bring it up because there's nothing else going on. Um, but it's just a domestic races. They have the race series around America. There's four or five races, and f- from what I can see, very much just targeted locals. They have the short course races all the way up to Ironman. Uh, in this race in Ocala, they last year they had about. 300 to 400 athletes across all their races so it's just a you know local sized uh, race and uh, it is still going so good on them I know it doesn't seem to be expanding into the pro world when they first came on the scene there was a bit of media coverage we interviewed them. and yeah and they were still talking about where they wanted to take the race if you remember they they run some very successful horse riding sort of a mm. circuit equestrian circuit so it hasn't really kicked on so it still exists but it's not it doesn't seem to be kicking I on I love how in your show notes here John you've got slightly more exciting news <laughs> yeah. uh, Frodo and Sandra 
guys are going to be racing each other at the Oceanside 70.3. Now, is that a couple of weeks away, is it? It is. It's, uh, it's either first weekend or second weekend of April. Yeah, I think it's second weekend. Be, like, I'm really interested to see Frodo's hit back. You know, Kona was a disappointment. Now, Frodo, like, it's one race. It's one race. No, no, it? no. I, I get it. But, mm. I mean, I'm just kind of interested to watch the next six months of him. Mm. You know, because... Gomez is going to be there this year, so there's probably, mm-hmm. you know, now Gomez hasn't proven himself at long course yet, um, but if he can have a transition like Gome, um, Frodo did, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you know, going into Cone last year, Frodo probably thought, deep down, I've probably got this as long as everything goes, as long as enough cocks up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a confident athlete's going to have. This year, there'll be a bit more doubt, I think. Oh, I just can't wait to see these guys at a 70.3, not just Frodo versus Sanders, but Frodo versus Gomez versus Brownlee versus Sanders at a 70.3. It's just going to be awesome if it happens this season. Who knows if it, it will? It really needs to happen in the next 18 months, but doesn't it? Because mm. then Frodo starts to get a little bit old. Mm. You know, like, you know, this, this moment in time is the best time to see some of these and guys peak at the right moment. And Brownlee might be going to the Olympics potentially. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, no. Well, likely. Hopefully we can see it maybe at either 70.3 Worlds or somewhere else. Um, so who are you picking for this race? Um, I would go Frodo. Okay. That's just whatever. Um, other, other random news. Uh, i got a press release through from the Ironman headquarters. They're this expanding. Is a, this is a really random. Well, no, they're, they're, they're expanding by 70 jobs. God, that's a... That's a a lot of people, extra people to be working at the, the Ironman head office in Tampa. It sounds like they got some, some tax breaks to sort of employ local people, which is just common practice around the world. Um, but yeah, obviously expanding. Good stuff. Um, no surprise, but um, but we're going to say, a big piece of surprise this week was we got an email through, I can't remember sent it through, but just saying, did you see Keenley and Hoffman are doing Cape Epic together? Now, tell us a little bit about Cape Epic. It's a, it's a crazy mountain bike race, which is pretty much the world's biggest long course mountain bike race. It's a, Yeah, it's the most well-known, most sought after. So it's in South Africa. It's uh, seven days of riding. Big field, you know, you have 1,300 riders, you have, uh, it's a team, teams of two, so you've got to ride together, well, I guess you don't have to, but your results don't really count, and, uh, except you're a second person, although I think there is a rule, you can only yeah, no, be, you, have to be pretty close. You, you can only be a certain number of minutes b- between each other, uh, so it is really, really tough racing, um, they did pretty well, I think they finished 25th, 25th. Yeah. Uh, and this is a proper pro race, you know, there's the, the top guys in the world are there, uh, and they're, they're hard stages, they're doing, they're doing uh, around about, you know, most days are sort of 100 to 120k of riding. Uh, and on a mo- mountain bike, on a mountain on a bike, course. Doing, you know, around about 2,000 metres of elevation on quite a few of the days, so it's, it's, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So the winning team were 25 hours of riding over mm. seven days. So it's a lot, you know, and it's smacking yourself. So we have the event in New Zealand now called the Pioneer, and that's it's trying to sort of replicate what the, what they do at this uh, event here. But I'd say the, the Pioneer is is a lot more elevation gain than uh, than some of these days. It's just nuts. So it's good racing. Good to see those guys out there. Uh, you know, it's not triathlon specific, but they'll be it's laying down some decent early season uh, volume. And it is, it's almost an epic camp in a way, isn't it? It's just a big hmm. training block where because. 25th, I can't imagine they made any money. So it is just that kind of, let's do something kind of fun and different. So this is a massive race, but it's, it is owned by the Ironman family now. So that's why they were in there. They were racing under the Ironman Foundation banner. Oh, really? uh, So oh, yeah, so it's owned, owned by Ironman, which is, um, yeah, it is what it is. It is what, what it, it is. is. John, your ITU update, mate. Well, we had a way to race in New Zealand, New Plymouth, two you Kiwis did. on the podium. I've got renewed optimism in our in our Kiwi stocks. Oh, really? We got ahead two second places. Now this is a World Cup race. It's not the top level, but but 
Yeah, we had some really good races by our Kiwis. We had a guy called Sam Ward finish second. Yeah, tell us about Sam Ward. Don't know much about him, to be okay, honest. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Ward, uh, we love you. And uh, but he finished second. So massive breakthrough for him. And we had a girl, Nicole Vanderkay, finish second as you well. You know what you heard? Uh, she's going to the Com Games. Sam Ward is not going to the Com Games, uh, which is a bit of a shame because he's doing pretty bloody well. So he's just a young fella. And uh, Nicole Vanderkay is a young girl. So... Great, we've got a couple. We've got a couple of other athletes coming through, so my, my optimism has been somewhat renewed. Giving up all hope, hadn't but you? the uh, I've got to tell you, I, I'm assuming you know I've got, you've got to go with the assumption that courses are accurate these days, and especially on the run when it's an out and back course. Yeah. So this is the standard you've got to get to to be at World Cup. This is the the big names are, are not here. This is not a big name field. These yeah. guys that are in the top five are, are, are be lucky at best to make a top ten on the World Cup World triathlon series races running 14.57 5k and these are 14.57 these are second tier athletes and 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 a 5k and a triathlon yeah so again it's an it was it was a multi-lap out and back so i've got to think it's got to be accurate if it's not someone needs a smack in the head yeah but i'm I'm kind of assuming it is so very impressive well done to declan wilson he really dominated the dojo whilst it was only a two-second victory he had a a reasonably comfortable lead going in uh so good on him and matthew matthew mcelroy was in third place do have to give them a bit of a downer because they had bloody um, live stream coverage of the race. Because, uh, but I didn't really. I saw I saw it pop up on Facebook when the girls were about to come off the bike. And I was like, why the hell didn't you promote that a bit better? You would have had loads more people watching. On the girls' side of things, so the girls' run splits were Kirsten Casper won. She split uh, 16.49, and our second-place girl was uh, 17 minutes. Nicole Vanderkay and Claire Michelle was 16.59. So. What I've got to say here is running technique is really important, but sometimes when you're looking at runners and they don't look like they're going fast, they really are going fast. Kirsten Casper looks like a plotter, uh, and that's doesn't sound. Is it a high cadence thing? It, it is. She just she doesn't look like she's going that fast. But these other girls looked like they were smoking it. Beautiful running technique, and Kirsten Casper was uh, leading. It's a bit like that, but like when you see Rennie no. undertake other runners, no, no. on film, on TV, if you watch Rennie and Kona. And you kind of think, oh, she's going, and then she just pass, flies past other runners. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Oh, I uh, she is a classical, beautiful, oh, beautiful runner. runner. Don't get me wrong, but she doesn't look like she's going stupidly fast. Mm. I think we'll agree to disagree on that okay. one. But Kirsten Casper, if you watch her, she doesn't look like she's going fast. Bloody hell, she is. Good on her for taking it out. Uh, so that's your ITU update for this weekend. Next race is going to be the Commonwealth Games for the Commonwealth countries, and then we move on to we Bermuda. Need to we need to pause. We've got an interview. We'll be back in a second. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. And we are back, and we just did an interview for next week's show with Matt Hanson. We've got uh, Cody Bills on the show today, but we interviewed Matt Hanson, and we've got a bit of a scoop. I don't know if it's a scoop. We'll bring that up in a moment when we're doing our we're gonna hold discussion. We're going to hold off? No, no, in, in, in a few minutes. Okay. Okay, John. So, John, that's pretty much the news. So, discussion of the week. Last week, we asked for Commonwealth Games picks. How many did we get, John? It was a raging hot favourite. <laughs> but I can assure you that it's going to be more posts than we get this week because you've overruled what I had in there. Oh, and, I think mine's good. And he, not only did he, he, he's overruled me, but he also deleted the other one, so it's disappeared. And so... You, the person who gave us some love on the topic that we were going to have is now your, your history. Can you, remember, can you remember what no, it was? No, I can remember what it was, but I don't know who sent it in. Yeah, it was just, it was just what's the latest gadgets? 
No, it was not. It was. It oh, was. was it? Your... Okay, there's another one then. <laughs> it was. It was a piss boy event, you know it. Anyway. And so I, I, and I went topical. I went oh, topical. Because let's talk Australia cricket team right now. Let's not. <laughs> uh, anyway, this week's topic was, what are your Commonwealth Games picks for the individual and the team's race? Give us your reasons and your picks. It was very interesting discussion. Tim Heming, um, both men's and women's races will be split on the, hold on, will be split on the break whittling a relatively small field down to a 5k between the best of the swim bikers. Experience England to just hold off young host nation team in the mixed relay. Um, Chafee to upset Townsend in the wheelchair race. I don't know anything about the wheelchair race, but these are Tim's picks. Uh, Chris Walker from Gibraltar, aged 50, at his fifth Commonwealth Games is going to take out the triathlon. Okay, well he's, he's obviously taking this very seriously. But... I don't know what they're lapping out. I'm sure they're going to... I think at Commonwealth Games, they're, they're fairly... Um, not too they're harsh not. on the lapping out. Okay. So he, Chris Walker is 50 from Gibraltar's Racing, so good on him. He's picking Alistair Brownlee to go first, Johnny Brownlee to go second. What okay. a patriotic man you are. Yep. Uh, on the women's, he's going Flora Duffy from first, from Vicky Holland and Jess Learmouth. So he's kind of thinking with his head a little bit there, going Flora Duffy, but yeah, then he's getting nice. all patriotic. Yeah. And the team he's got... England, what a surprise, England. Australia, South Africa. There you go. He's got wheelchair division. He's got uh, Joe Townsend. He'll know more than most of us. Uh, Bill Chaffley from Australia and Nick Beveridge from Australia. And the females, it's Emily Tapp, Jade Jones-Hall and Lauren Parker from Australia. Neil Hastings, he's gone same as Rio for the men. He's got Brownlee, Ali, Johnny and then Chilman in third. And he's saying the woman is difficult going to, uh, who is going to be best on the day. He's got Duffy, Holland, Stanford. Uh, and then Matthew Jackson's got Australia, Australia, Australia. Oi, oi, oi. And that's the extent of this week's discussion. <laughs> so my picks are a, bit, a little bit different. I'm going... Uh, and my picks are sort of dependent on it being uh, a group coming off the off the bike together. If it's not, it's going to be a totally different set of results. But I've gone for Burt Whistle, Murray and Ooh. Brownlee. Um, because what, in that order? Yes. Really? Yes. That's controversial, Newsom. No, it's not controversial. If they come off the bike together, that's you've got to go the hometown, but a bit more energy, the hometown favourite. Although but Bert Whistle hasn't won big yet, has he? He hasn't. He nearly has. If he can count the number of laps correctly, he'll be okay. But he's Australian, so maybe he'll yeah, just do <laughs> one less lap. He might pick and up a, a more on the way. Yeah. <laughs> the dirt. Uh, and then on the girls, I've gone uh, Duffy, which I think will be most people's favourite, uh, Ashley Gentle and Andrea Hewitt, because Ashley Gentle's probably the fastest runner in the female side of the sport at the moment, and uh, Andrea Hewitt, because she's a good, solid Kiwi, although she didn't race that well last weekend, but it was yeah, cold, false sense of security, cold, yeah. shitty weather. Uh, and she doesn't thrive in those conditions. I don't really have any picks, John. I'll go men's, I'll go Brownlee. I probably would go Richard. No, I'm going to go Richard Murray. Because mm -hmm. last year he, he axed big races, didn't he? He did, yeah. You know, last year he was on fire. Um, and, uh, and with Brownlee, with Alistair at least, I just don't know yet because mm -hmm. we haven't seen much of him. Now, no. if he's fit, you're going Brownlee. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say Murray, I'm going to say Jonathan Brownlee, mm -hmm. and then Alistair Brownlee. Okay. Some of the guys and on the girls, John. I'm not really good at the girls. Sexist pig. Well, I'm just a bit out of touch. I'm gonna say Flora Duffy, yeah. Vicky Holland, and Jess Learmouth. So you're not even picking a Kiwi. <laughs> no, I'm just copying Tim's. Ah, uh, John. So, the, the, well, well, so when's the race? It is on the fifth or sixth. I think it's the fifth. Pretty sure it's the fifth. It's on the okay. Thursday anyway. Okay. We go over on Wednesday. It's on Thursday. Both day, both races. No, so it's Thursday, so it's Thursday, and then I think there's a day off, and then I think it's a mixed relay the next day. There's either one or two days between. 
John, are we allowed to talk about the other piece of gospel we got before? Oh yes, so that was yeah. yeah. Um, so we Matt Hanson on the show. I had to ask show. him to see that because I do. Am I allowed to talk about this? <laughs> so he's on the show in two weeks' time, and off here he was just saying we mentioned that Tyler Butterfield is doing the marathon a couple of weeks ago, and he's been doing some training with him. He says he's on fire, and uh, maybe run around about two twenty, maybe. And he's also doing a triathlon. And that's the thing with this triathlon. As I said, we've got the fifty-year-old racing, but you know, any country can send whoever they want. They don't necessarily have to meet a qualifying standard. Uh, if you want to go and race, you can go and do it. John, this week's discussion. This week's discussion is pretty interesting because uh, it's pretty genius because A, I thought of it, but B, <laughs> uh, it's been an interesting time in cricket in the last couple of days. First of all, we beat the Poms. Whoop, whoop, last night. No, I didn't. Oh, I was, was, I was watching the, the ticker on the updates. Oh, it was pretty good. Yeah, mm. we, we, we won. We should have killed them, but we were lost two days of play. Um, I know American listeners love this. Also, big weekend for sport, John. The Warriors won three weekends in a row. Turned that one off about oh. 15, 20, 15 oh, minutes ago. Oh, they came it back. Was, it, was, it was it was 19-6. And I said, damn, these Warriors, in it? they're playing quite well, but they, they, they can't get two tries in they came time. back and they scored a try three minutes ago and then two drop goals in the last two minutes. Absolutely Couldn't phenomenal. Believe it. Go the Warriors. But the big news in, in sport in our part of the world. And Commonwealth countries. Well, it'd be interesting to see if Americans have heard about this. Now, it'd be on ESPN and stuff, but it won't yeah, be. Yeah, so Steve Smith and the Australian cricket team have been caught blatantly cheating. And it's it's been it's actually a really interesting topic for me to kind of confront right now. Well, not confront, but think about because I'm reading a really good book. Now, I'm going to talk about this book a little bit here, John. This book, let me put my Kindle. So what happens for, for non-Commonwealth countries, you've got your cricket ball. It's not really like a baseball, but basically if you shine one side, it moves around a bit more. You're allowed to do that. But this guy, and they're saying that he got tape out of his pocket, but that's just a load of shit. It was Sandpaper. We all know it. It was sandpaper. If you're going to pull something out, you're pulling out sandpaper. And that's what he did. It was actually quite fascinating because what's happening, so for those who know nothing about this, the, the TV commentators, the TV cameramen saw that he was kind of rubbing dirt into the ball. So they started playing it on the big screen in the ground. And the, the umpires seen this, keep replaying it. So I think, mm. what's happening here? And so then the guy who had. John's alleged sandpaper <laughs> and his, he basically gets a piece of the yellow tape they're calling yeah. it and put it down his pants but they caught him doing that as well so it was very controversial but the real controversy is that it was a conscious decision by the leadership group to cheat at lunchtime because they were kind of losing in the game or losing grip of the game and it's really it's just a really interesting moment in sport this whole idea of cheating and I'm, and I'm reading a really great book by Jim Lauer right now called The Only Way to Win and I really like this book because he talks. We often talk about character building, don't we? We often say, you know, this is really character building. And one thing he does very well in this book is he defines character building into two different types. And he talks about um, there's many people who have amazing characters in one area, and he calls it performance. So you look at like a Steve Smith, or you look at like a Tiger Woods, or you look at you know some of the people. Although Tiger Woods wasn't a sporting cheat, but mm -hmm. you know. The, two sides of this coin as a personality at least um, but you look at these people who are cheats and they actually have amazing character traits mm. you know Steve Smith the best one of the top three batsmen in the world right now an amazing athlete and then he talks about character traits and he calls those performance traits and mm. then he talks about moral traits moral character traits and that how ultimately as a person, you want to be developing both. And often in sports and business and these types of things, when it comes to character traits, people only develop the performance and they often really lack in the, in the moral side of it. And ultimately, they become quite broken people through this. And it was interesting, I was reading it, and there's another famous cricket uh, event that happened years ago. It's an underarm bowl. Describe that, John. You bowl the ball along the ground so you can't basically hit the ball for... 
six or four runs so you basically roll along all you can do is hit it along the ground yeah and so basically years ago it's like 1980 australia we needed a six off the last ball it's pretty hard to get a six off the last ball but they basically took the ability away because they bowled it along the ground we never forget yeah comes and, well up no but year. the article was with the guy who did it was it um chapel yeah greg, greg chapel was it and so and he said he, he, he gets it every day of his life because to this day it's been how he's defined mm. and people still talk to him about it and you know and that's when you lose your moral self who do you become so this week's discussion I'm kind of pointing I'm looking at us and I've said this week's discussion we're going deep here team <laughs> uh, have you ever cheated on any level and if you if you have think back to that time and think about why you made the choice you made and, and so because it's so easy for us to point the fingers at others mm-hmm. but when and let's be honest we probably all cheated on some level mm-hmm. but when you have cheated why did you make that choice Let's see how many posts we get on this one. I reckon we get more than really three for the number of games. I'll tell you that much. Uh, so there you go. So, and if you want to check out that book, I often I, I get a lot of people asking about book recommendations. And uh, one thing he does in this book, and I'm really doing this myself, is he kind of says, choose 10 character traits you want to develop, a mix of moral, moral and um, performance, and then focus on one for two weeks. So I'm, one of my mm-hmm. performance one is focus. And at the moment I'm focusing on being more focused for two weeks of my life. And it's quite a good a good kind of exercise to go through is you develop, you learn higher levels of the things you're trying to develop yourself. So The Only Way to Win by Jim Lauer is the book. Anyway, John, statistic, it's fantastic. So, last weekend, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we had the New Plymouth ICU World Cup race. Mm. And I had picked up on the start list. Kiwis are coming back. Kiwis coming back. We're on our way back. I picked up on the start list that Vanessa Fernandez was on there. And I thought, well, that's interesting. She used to be one of the greatest and will go down as one of the greatest uh, ITU athletes of all time. And she's had a big hiatus. She had uh, injury issues, sickness issues. I think she just got completely burned out. She was a very young athlete when she was highly successful. And she's been away from the sport for for quite a few years. Um, But she's made a comeback. I wouldn't say it is a massively successful comeback at this stage. But she was out there racing at the weekend. And where did she finish? She finished in 17th place. Uh, She only ran in 1803. And she's now and finished in 105, so she was a couple of minutes behind the winner. So that is only a teensy part of the Vanessa Fernandez story, and she has the most awesome uh, record. Unbelievable. So she's had 71 starts uh, at ITU races, 48 podiums. So out of 71 races, 48 podiums. But the next is more impressive. 38 wins. So of the podiums, so wait a second, so 48 podiums, that includes the 38 wins. Mm, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. So basically she's getting on the podium. She's winning the race. Yeah. She had a winning streak at one stage, and I'm, I'm not quite sure. Somebody might be able to email in and point this out. Uh, she had uh, set a record of 12 consecutive wins on the World Cup. As I said before, the World Cup used to be what the, the World Triathlon Series is now. There used to be a bit more races. The depth wasn't quite as high as what it is now, but there was still some quality athletes around. You know, she's beating Emma Snowsell and people like that. Um, what was it like at that moment? Was she like, was it? She was cut, killing it. Just, really? Yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where, okay, she's going to win. And it's a bit like, you know, Chrissy Wellington, okay, she's going to win. Who's going to get second sort of yeah. thing? So she had 12 consecutive wins on the World Cup. Uh, and I believe, and I did a quick count up yesterday, it looked like Gwen Jorgensen might have tied it. I don't know if she beat it, um, but it's obviously a different era. But 12 consecutive wins on the World Cup. So that's your main stat today. 
is Vanessa Fernandez had a record of 12 consecutive wins on the World Cup. May have been equaled or beaten by Gwen Jorgensen, but good to see her back racing. Uh, so many years, she, she was basically out of the sport from 2011 through 2017. Uh, I do think she did a, a, mar- a little bit of running and marathons and stuff there, uh, but it'd be interesting to know why she's coming back and what she's hoping to achieve. Yeah, because her best is behind her, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, but hey, maybe she just likes the challenge. Um, John, we've got a great interview. Cody Bells is an athlete who is a pro athlete, and he won at Taiwan at 7.3 couple weeks ago. Yes, he did. And uh, he's also just had a really good progression as a pro athlete, but also shares a lot of his journey on his blog or website, codybells.com. So we thought we'd get him on the show to talk about his pro career. And here he is right now. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, we've got uh, we've had a few requests to get this character on the show. He's called Cody Beals. He's a seventy point three athlete. He's a of, nerd in jocks clothing, John. Yeah, and one of the reasons a few people have asked us to get him on is he's uh, he puts on his website his budget of all his income and expenditure as a as a pro athlete. He's now done that. Uh, he's in his fourth year. So we're going to discuss that, but also find out a bit about the man because. Uh, I think one of the things with 70.3 athletes who specialise in that distance, they often get lost in the results. You know, we don't see a lot of, we don't see any of the coverage on TV and there's just so many races, it's often really hard to gauge some of those specialists if they're not doing Ironman as well. So welcome along to the show, Cody. Thank you very much. It's an honour. In Uh, fact, um, this was the very first podcast that I discovered going back almost 10 years. I think I just typed in Google triathlon podcast and uh, found the show fantastic <laughs> you must be an early listener because we've been going for about 11 years so you I, must be... I was i was 18 years old wow so. <laughs> nice. oh, mate, we're like, we're like your old man you guys have been doing the show for that long right yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so i said i did say on the show a couple of weeks ago we were going to have you on and uh and then you turned around and went and won the taiwan 70.3 so uh, looking at your results you know most of the the races you've done have been uh sort of in, in the american region um what was the the journey into asia like uh it was an adventure for sure it was my first time venturing across the pacific and i've always been really reluctant to do that because of the time zone change so when I'm setting my season, I'm perusing all the Ironman Pro events, and I basically just ignore anything in Europe and Asia for the most part. But this year, I thought it was time to kind of broaden my horizons a little bit, and uh, I had an a, opportunity with a sponsor there. They wanted to shoot a commercial, and it lined up perfectly with this race. So given that the travel was covered, it was kind of a, not too risky a proposition, and uh, I'm really happy with how it went. And you, you took the win, and it was a, there was a, it was a reasonable field. There was some some good guys there. I think Andy Potts was there, and uh, and ben you, you really do- yeah, you really the- dominated. Thanks. I, I honestly quite surprised myself. It hasn't been my, my smoothest off season. And it's always kind of a leap of faith coming off indoor training. Like I'm not really one for training camps. So I'm just hunkered down in Ontario here in Canada training throughout the winter. And it's all indoors, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really tough to get a handle on where fitness is at when you're just on the trainer and the treadmill and in the pool. Uh, so it was a surprise for sure. When, when you're in those environments where that's kind of the nature of your training, uh, do you miss being out, outdoors? To some extent, yeah. I mean, I, I hate having to supplement vitamin D throughout the winter. Yeah. Um, I can look at it from two angles. I mean, one, I love being outside. I love I love nature. You know, my very first endurance sport was cross-country skiing, and that's one of the most amazing sports to, you know, appreciate the beauty of nature and stuff. So it sucks to be in my basement on the trainer from that perspective. But on the other hand, I know how effective it is in terms of tra- training. 
like my my lead up to that race i was averaging only you know five to eight hours a week on the bike and first i'd be hard pressed to replicate that same training um stimulus i think outside mm. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You said you're from Ontario, um, and so you, you know you started racing in terms of your your pro racing back in um, 2013, I think it was. So, sort of tell us a bit about your background um, coming into try and and how you sort of progressed into the the pro ranks. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back even five or six years, this was not the career path I envisioned. I kind of joke that I just. I'm tumbling deeper down the rabbit hole every year, and I, I did. I did, however, get a pretty early start with endurance sports. Both my parents are lifelong avid endurance sports athletes, and uh, they got me going with skiing and cycling at a pretty young age, and got me involved with the local swim team, which isn't too serious an affair in Canada for the most part. This was like summer league with parent volunteer coaches and stuff, but nevertheless, got my feet wet, so to speak, at a pretty young age. I think I started around nine, and kept that up throughout high school, and. Um, how I actually got into competitive endurance sports is a bit of a funny story. I was always like a real academic and school was always, that always took center stage above all else, above sports and really anything else in my life. Um, but my mom was a jogger and topped in the odd 5k or 10k. And so I kind of followed suit and would run with her sometimes. And I guess the local cross country coach at the high school had spotted me running with her. And so that was kind of, you know, worked its way into the rumor mill. And the day before the district championships, when I was in grade 10, so just a 15 year old, um, one of the one of the four one of the four guys in the team injured himself playing hockey of all things and had to withdraw. So they were really scrambling to find a fourth athlete so they could score and make their way up to the next level. And so they literally abducted me from first period math class. I had really no experience with competition, hadn't ever run a competitive running race, was barely training. But the coach and the team basically kicked in the door and said, "You're coming with us." And an hour later, I found myself on the start line of my first ever cross country race, wearing a board pair of spikes. Wow! And you know, it was a it was a downright miserable experience during the race. But all I all I really remember was like the euphoria after. We actually, I was the you know the fourth athlete on the team to score, of course. But um, it was good enough that we squeaked up to the next level of competition. I think it was like the regional championships, and it was such a positive experience. I was like the hero on the day, and the coach followed up with this really nice letter to me, and it really was this perfectly timed dose of positive reinforcement at this really young formative age. And it's hard to say if I actually would have found my way into being a pro triathlete if it hadn't been for that perfectly timed dose of positive reinforcement and this introduction to competitive sports, you know, at age 15. So it's kind of funny how like a happenstance of event like that triggered this whole cascade of further events that led to my pro triathlon career, I would say. Now that's maybe an oversimplification. Um, but I was really hooked after that. And I continued with running throughout high school and then ran a little bit in university. But again, school was kind of the priority. And really had a pretty miserable experience in university. Cross-country running, that was the one highlight. But after I graduated, uh, soldiers through, through this physics degree I didn't really enjoy. Was so done with school at that point that grad school was not something I wanted to even think about. I, I kind of gave myself a year off getting a real job, quote-unquote, mm. to just kind of pursue whatever I wanted. And at the time, it was triathlon that was really lighting my fire. And I still really had no intention of going pro. I just didn't know where it would take me. But at the end of that year... Um, things were really coming together. I won the Ontario Provincial Championships. I went sub four hours in my first uh, half distance event at, I think, age 23 or something like that, or 22. So people started to kind of whisper in my ear, like, you could consider having a career at this. And I think I, I probably scoffed at them, like, how the hell do you make money doing this? This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, 
But that was six years ago now, and it's hard to believe that it actually has led to a career, as you can see on my blog that I'm where I'm writing about finances and stuff. Mm. Um, and what what sort of you know you had those initial years, but what sort of tipped you over? You, know, you had people whispering in your ear, but what actually tipped you over to go? I'm going to give this a crack. And and what was your plan when you thought I'm going to go pro? Should I just try this for a, a year or two? What sort of did you have any measures you needed to meet in terms of surviving, or, or what was your sort of plan when you when you decided to make the I'm laughing step at the over? Word plan. I mean, I am a pretty methodical person. I didn't just jump straight into it, but there really wasn't a big plan. I was taking it very much, not even a year at a time, just a few months at a time. And I really had to have my arm twisted by uh, a good friend and a former pro, uh, Rich Patey, local guy in Ontario. He really basically had to twist my arm to get my pro card. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really until I, I trained throughout that winter, basically took eight months off racing and really, really focused on training to try and get up to that next level. Um, another piece of the puzzle is that you don't hear a lot about it internationally, but here in Ontario, we have this fantastic local racing scene with the Multisport Canada series. They run this kind of sub-elite, borderline elite series, and that's the series that Lionel Sanders came up through. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some other up-and-comers like Jack Laundry, another new 70.3 athlete, Taylor Reed did some racing in that series. And there's all these kind of regional-level development teams and then this Multisport Canada series in Ontario that really foster elite development. So I, I was racing some super fast guys like every other weekend. Like I was getting my ass kicked by Lionel before the world even knew who the hell he was. Yeah. So that was not so good for my ego, fantastic <laughs> for my development. So by the time I went pro, I was kind of ready to hit the ground running, so to speak, and was making paychecks right away in my first pro season. So that was kind of validating, you know, to be making a bit of money, but um, I certainly wasn't turning much of a profit at all. The other key thing for me is that um, coming off that physics degree, um, I was able to land a pretty good job in consulting work in sort of this environmental science type field, working with a bunch of engineers. And the cool thing about that was that I could work entirely from home. I could set my own hours. I could work anywhere from four to 80 hours a week, usually ended up being around like 20 or something. So it wasn't as if I had this nine to five job that I had to quit cold turkey to go pro. Hmm. It was this really flexible, really enviable position to be in with this consulting work where I could gradually dial it back as the triathlon earnings kind of ramped up. So it wasn't a big financial risk that a lot of athletes have to take, I think. And and at what point, you know, like if you go through your blog, you kind of talk about that now I'm a full-time pro. Was it hard to let go of that security as you kind of transitioned from being, you know, entry level to full-time? Well, I would say I haven't even let go of it. I still okay. bill a handful of hours. I think last year I probably billed my, my least ever, maybe like 10 hours or something for the whole year. But I still keep my foot in the door because, I mean, the reality is triathlon, there's no job security. As much as I hate to think about it, I could, you know, twist my ankle running tomorrow and that could be a career ender right there somehow. Mm. So I don't want to prepare for that, but it's, um, it's still probably prudent too, I guess. It was really interesting in fitness. I work in fitness, and one thing: some people have the theory you should just quit everything, go all in, and that'll make you desperate. Um, but then there's a really good book called Originals, and it talks about it's a book about creative people, and they said actually it's a much wiser strategy to keep your finger in both pies as you transition. And as you say, this isn't necessarily a long-term career, so it is a good idea to kind of keep my finger in a pie that is an opportunity for the future. For sure, I was just having a similar conversation with a couple other pro friends. Um, and there's definitely an optimal level of hunger to have, I think, and whether that's just some financial pressure on you, it can definitely add a whole other level. I mean, one of my coaches a while ago was saying, 
Cody, you're racing guys that have young kids and stuff, and they're literally racing to put bread on the table. You know, imagine that level of motivation. You have to be able to replicate that somehow. You have to draw on something else because they don't have a family yet, of course. Um, but I think there is, you can be, there can be a point where you're so hungry that it's creating a lot of strain. So one of my pro athlete friends, his wife is ready to withdraw support for his pro triathlon career, despite he's had a lot of success, but it's just not, you know, paying the bills in a reliable way, I guess. Mm. So I think there's, there's too much stress you can have, but I know I just, I just bought my first house last winter mm. and, uh, renovated it and that went way, way over budget. So for the first time I found myself kind of in a not really bad financial situation, but money was on my mind more often than I, than I'd care to have a lot of the time, let's say. Mm. And so that win in Taiwan, I was only, I was, I'm always racing for, you know, intrinsic motivators and stuff yep. but there was this other dimension it's like okay how the heck am i going to pay taxes next month i got to make this happen <laughs> mm-hmm. um so how have things sort of panned out for you and if you if you rewind to a few years ago you said you didn't necessarily have a plan but has your in terms of your um you know athletic advancement are you sort of happy with the progress you're making are you satisfied or you're you thrilled and and what are your sort of athletic plans over the next couple of years in terms of where you want to get to well i was definitely happy with how the first three years of my career progressed that was a really solid upwards trajectory you know i went from kind of scrounging some pretty consistent top fives and stuff at 70.3s to then consistent podiums and then in my third season my first win and then, you know, a handful of wins the next year. So that was that was great. Last year was kind of the first hiccup. It was just a rough season for me. I was sick nonstop. There were a lot of stresses in my personal life. And that was really reflected in my racing. So that was a bit of a, a step back. I still haven't faced the adversity that I've seen some other athletes face. I haven't had I haven't dropped off the face of the earth with an injury or something for twelve months. So I have to kind of count myself lucky, I guess. This year, judging by my first race at least, things seem to be back on track. I can say I'm a lot more focused than I was last year. And the, the big thing that I'm looking forward to this year is my Ironman debut. So you're talking at the start of the show about how, you know, 70.3 pros don't get quite as much notice. And mm. I would certainly agree with that. And uh, I just turned 28. It seems like about the right age. So I'll be making my debut at Ironman Mont Tremblant in August. That's the plan, at least. Very good. It's interesting looking at your figures. I'm just kind of on the website where you're talking about your figures. Your revenue's kind of gradually, or well, you had a big jump from 14 to 15, and then it's kind of been this nice trajectory up. Um, your expenses have stayed pretty much the same. So how have you managed that? It's a good question. I mean, increasingly as I've developed more profile, more of my, more of my gear can be sponsored. That was never a huge line item to start with, but I'm, you know, I'm not buying my bike anymore, obviously, and most of my gear I can get covered. The one caveat is that I'm pretty picky about my gear, so that most of the time, I'd rather pay my own money and get the very best or exactly what I want mm. rather than accept you know, whatever's free or whatever's on offer. I'm also pretty fortunate to have some really great, I won't even call them sponsors, they're more philanthropists, and that's Giles Atkinson and Randy Stanfield. And these are two guys that have supported me really from the start, and they cover a lot of my travel. So that's a huge expense for a lot of pros, and these guys almost act as my travel agent. Really? You know, I'll call them up and say, I need to get to here, and they'll book my ticket for me. And it's not only the stress of that covered, but also the expense as well. So that's tremendously helpful. Besides that, I think I just operate on a really lean basis a lot of the time. Like comparing notes with other pros, I'm, I'm not very spendy when it comes to triathlon. In fact, I'm downright cheap with a lot of things. <laughs> so I don't get, I never get massages, I never get physiotherapy. And that's both a reflection of, I guess, my durability as an athlete, which is probably one of my, one of my greater attributes as, attributes as an athlete. And also we have this fantastic public health care system in Canada. So... When I have been sick in the past or, or um, anything like that, 
I've been taken care of really well. Got my blood testing covered every year, so that's really helpful. So it's a combination of factors, but um, you know, I, I keep a spreadsheet open on my computer every single day with all my triathlon earnings and, and expenses and stuff, and I'm updating that on a daily basis. So that exercise alone really keeps you on the ball, I think, and keeps things pretty lean. You're so, seeing that right front and center every day. So, so the awareness of a, of a budgeting tool makes you make great decisions. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> just, just on that, you know, you say you've got your, your, um, the guys who really support you. How do you, how do you give them value back? Because obviously, if I'm a sponsor, I come to you. I want you to ride this bike. You know, it's a transaction. And you give me exposure. I give you Absolutely. gear or money. Uh, you know, but the, you know, a lot of athletes will have that one person who really just wants to financially support someone who they see is trying to achieve something big in life, and maybe they want to live vicariously through you or something like that. But how do you make sure that is a relationship where you you know do you feel they're getting value? Well, I, I think we struck on it earlier when I described them not so much as sponsors, but philanthropists. Yeah. Um, it, I, so I have eight sponsors, which are more conventional, and there's a mix of about five or six endemic sponsors, so triathlon industry, and then a couple non-endemic sponsors, which are just totally unrelated to triathlon. And in those cases, it's a clear give and take. There's a value proposition I'm offering with marketing services for the most part, and they're compensating me in return somehow. With these more philanthropist-type sponsors or supporters or benefactors, whatever you want to call them, it's entirely different. Um, one of them does have a company, and perhaps I'm driving a bit of business that way, but I'm under no illusions that it's anything similar to my conventional sponsors. I think it's more just out of goodwill. And you also use the term living vicariously through me. Mm. That's another option right there. And I think they just like to be part of the process. So you know, we'll have a call on a pretty regular basis, and I'll be offering them a bit of advice on their training. They're both triathletes and stuff. But for the most part, I think they just like to be part of my journey and the excitement going on in my life. That's my take on it, at least. So you started doing your blogs with, um, you know, your budgeting as a, as a pro triathlete. What what brought that about, and uh, do you think that's been one of the the key reasons why you've actually built a bit more of a following? When I first wrote that post, I really thought it wouldn't be very interesting. I thought it might get a little bit of traffic, and by a landslide, those would become my most popular posts every year. They get by far the most traffic. They get shared all over the place. It sounds like that's how you guys found mm. my name. Mm. And looking back, I shouldn't have been so naive. People are fascinated with money, and at least in North America, it's a really taboo topic to talk about how much money people make and their earnings and stuff. So I think people love that window. It's almost kind of voyeuristic to take a look at someone else's finances because it's such a guarded personal thing here. And it kind of is in keeping with the theme I've had on my blog and really the theme I strive for in my career in general, and that's to be as open and transparent as possible about anything. So in addition to finances, you can find blood test results on my blog, you can find a detailed summary of kind of a rough patch of overtraining I went through, talking all about you know my messed up testosterone levels and stuff in the past. All kinds of really personal things, medical records, what have what have you. My, my discussion about anxiety and depression in university. Just listened to your podcast last week um, with the expert on depression. Mm. Found that really fascinating. So mm. I, I think people like to see that kind of transparency because it's not something you see all the time from triathlon pros. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the sport, but if I could have one criticism, it's that triathlon pros are a little bit bland. There's a certain sameness to a lot of them. And from my perspective, the ones that were successful with developing a following have something that really helps them stand out. And my attempt at that is to be really open and transparent. Um, just, just in regards to the revenue side of it, you know, you, you're, you're earning around about, so I can look at these numbers now, about 65 or maybe late 50s now. What's that relative to everyday living in Canada right now? Uh, like I said in the blog, it's a, pretty, 
yeah, it's well above the median individual income. That's going to be a little bit skewed by, you know, people who are independently wealthy and not working and stuff. Yeah. So I, I would say, and again, this is a question you could ask different people and come up with drastically different answers. I've already told you that my, my triathlon expenses are pretty lean and that's reflected in my life in general. I'm pretty frugal. Mm -hmm. I'm something of a minimalist. However, I did just buy my first house, which is not a cheap process, let me tell you. <laughs> and nor is, nor is renovating. <laughs> so I, I, I would say I could get by comfortably on about $50,000 Canadian a year um, before taxes, before expenses. That would be maybe not super comfortable, but I could make do. I might not be saving a whole lot away for the future. Uh, the amount I made last year, 70000 and then minus about 12000 in expenses and to then taxes after that, that's getting to a more comfortable level where I'm able to get by reasonably comfortably, able to save some money, and money's not on my mind all the time. Mm -hmm. And for reference, for our U.S. followers, that's about, um, I think the exchange rate's about a buck thirty Canadian dollars to a U.S. dollar right now. Mm -hmm. So one thing that surprised me looking at your, your numbers here is, is prize money. We've we've seen you know prize money lists um, from, from a number of sources, and and you know the, the, it's pretty lean in terms of the top guys are, are doing pretty well. But as soon as you get a bit further down, it, it's um, you know it drops off pretty quickly. And we do wonder how um, athletes are able to make a living. So you know you've got if we look at your total revenue, seventy thousand, um, about twenty five thousand from prize money, and about nearly forty thousand from sponsorship so um, is, is that sponsorship revenue part of the, the phil philanthropic um, you know donations you get from those guys you're talking about or is that all the endemic and non-endemic sponsors no, the, sorry the, the philanthropy type guys that's entirely in-kind sponsorship so covering travel and stuff yeah. I, I don't see money directly from them you know wired to my bank account or anything yeah. so that 40,000 is entirely from salaries and bonuses from sponsors and I'll point out that's that tripled from the previous year. So I said every year in that finance post, it takes a really long time and a lot of work to build up the reputation and profile and trust with your sponsors to be able to get money like that, to be able to get some legitimate contracts. And, you know, for me, it took four or five years to really get up to that level where I can pay most of my bills without even actually stepping on the race course. Mm -hmm. In regards to that, then, you, you know, you say build trust, you know, all those types of things. How do you do that? What, what's the actual actions you take to make sure you are building that? Oh, if I could condense that down into a little sound bite, I would be <laughs> a wealthy guy probably. I could put that into a book. It's, it's really hard. I, every year I've tried to write a little bit about sponsorship, and it's still very much a learning experience for me. Like I remember the first time I was kind of just thrust into a boardroom and told to pitch and had to come up with like an elevator talk about why this company should, should support me. It's a skill set that you can't really teach, I think, but you can learn over time. So, you know, I think it involves partly how you present yourself. A lot of this is just, uh, you know, pressing the flesh and wheeling and dealing and um, getting into these meetings with people face to face. That's really important. I've had limited success whenever I've tried to broker deals by email, but a lot better success when I can meet with people face to face and mm -hmm. get to know them on a more personal level. I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. um I know you said that you know the same in New Zealand and around the world. You know, asking people about what they earn is is quite a taboo sort of topic. Um, do you know if the amount you're getting from sponsorship is is common amongst other pros of of a similar sort of level? So I've talked to a lot of pros now. I'm I'm in living in Guelph now, which is something of a hotbed now for pro triathletes, both long course and ITU, and uh, a number of other pros are based in Ontario who are good friends with me. So we'll talk finances. 
And I know that I'm doing significantly better with sponsorship than some of my peers right now. I'm sure I'm not doing nearly as well as some others. Mm. But if you kind of match other pros with around my, my level of results and stuff or my level of profile, I seem to be doing a little bit better with sponsorship just over the last year, though. That's mm. And that was pretty deliberate on my part. Like, I knew I was going to be buying this house. I knew that for the first time there was going to be some some real adult expenses in my life. So over the last 18 months or so, I really, really hustled to try and upgrade my contracts and secure new and better ones. I also hired an agent for the first time. Oh, okay. That was something I held out for a really long time on um, just because I like doing it myself. And frankly, there wasn't just enough money to go around for the most part until this year. Uh, this was the first year where it was kind of justifiable and made sense to hire this agent because I, was, I had my finger in so many other pies. I just didn't have the time to, you know, I was literally having emails sit in my inbox for a month before I could get to them um, with offers that were potentially interesting. Uh, and what's been the value of having an agent? Well, so my agent's Claire Duncan, and she's pretty new to the game, but already making some great accomplishments. I've kept managing a lot of my existing contracts, and there's some where it just wouldn't be appropriate for someone else to step in at this point. Like, I have a great relationship with Martin's Family Fruit Farm. They're a local apple orchard, and they ship you know across North America and even globally now. It just wouldn't make sense at all for her to step in when that relationship is entirely contingent upon me being there face-to-face, you know, knowing the owner of the business, asking about his family, that sort of thing. Mm. Where Claire has been really helpful is helping me out with new contracts. So I was so busy this year, I was kind of complacent about just maintaining my existing sponsorship, not bringing in any new sponsors. Claire, though, is really hungry to get out there and broker all these new deals for me. And so I've just let her kind of run wild. I basically wrote her a wish list of interesting companies I want to work with, and now she's doing all the legwork to make that happen. Mm. Um, so what are, what are your sort of goals in terms of where you, where you want to be? You know, you, you're winning races now, which is fantastic, um, but in terms of where you, where you want to take your career over the next uh, next few years, and, and, and is that part of your pitch when you're going in and seeing these um, sponsors, both new and existing? It's definitely a question I get a lot, and I think the answer that, companies often want to hear or the answer that a lot of athletes will give is oh I want to I want to win Kona or I want to be on the podium at Kona it's not that I don't have grand goals and a lot of motivation it's just that I've always been extremely incremental about my process so I'm rarely looking further ahead than the next six to twelve months it's just always how I've operated Mm -hmm. I have a coach that I work with and that's kind of I consider his job to be looking at the three to five year plan one of the nice things about having a team around you who are looking on that longer horizon is that as an athlete I can focus on kind of the day-to-day details of running the business. Just keep my head down. It's almost a cliche expression just to be keeping your head down and getting the work done. But it's a nice luxury to have. So I would like to take myself up to the very highest level of the sport. But right now, I'm not looking any further ahead than my Ironman debut in a few months. <laughs> and is that, is that your big focus for the season? Or is that just part of the puzzle, you know, to, to go out there and experience it? Or, or are you going to be, you know, really specifically targeting that at potentially the expense of, of some of your 70.3 and, and other distance races? Hmm. <laughs> There's the answer that everyone wants to hear than the honest answer. The honest answer is that I'm not particularly excited about it, excited about the Ironman debut yet. Yeah. Um, that will change, I think. I've cleared about eight weeks before the race where I won't do any 70.3s or any other racing, so I'll put in a very specific block preparing for that race. And I haven't shied away from talking about it in interviews and stuff. Um, so I think there's two ways to make an Iron, Ironman debut I've seen other athletes do. And one is to do it very quietly and call it a learning experience and not make a big deal about it. The other way is to try and make a splash. Um, the former doesn't really suit me, so I want to go after the latter. And I would argue there's two ways to make a splash for an athlete around my level. 
you could choose a fast race and try and break eight hours. And there's a very, very short list of men that have gone under eight hours in their debut. Or you could pick a perhaps slower, less competitive field, which I would say Mont Tremblant is, and try and win. Mm. So I'll let you guys figure out what I'm aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just, you know, you, you've taken a very professional approach to being a professional athlete, and uh, and both athletically and uh, the business side of the game. Uh, are you, do you, you know, when you compare yourself to other athletes out there? Are you at the kind of pointy end of being professional? As in, like, uh, do you see many other guys like you out there, or are you a bit of a rarity? At first, I thought everyone operated like me, but the more I hang out with other pros, the more I'm appreciating that I do some things a little bit differently. Like, I was just sitting down for dinner with a, a pro friend last night, and he's like, "Oh, it's tax season. I have no idea what the hell I'm going to owe." It's like, oh, okay. "Well, weren't you weren't you kind of tracking that over the course of the year? Weren't you managing your?" expenses and earnings and stuff and he's like no <laughs> so that's one example I guess um, on other fronts I, I am a little bit biased because most of my closest friends are um, some Canadian and American pros who I've seen have a very high level of professionalism people like Taylor Reed and Matt Hansen and, and Joe Skipper those are some of the guys Joe's in uh, Great Britain pro obviously but um, those are some guys I've hung out with and I've certainly been impressed by their level of professionalism I have heard stories though about other pros where it seems like it's totally fly by the seat of their pants all the time mm. yeah I think that's the norm <laughs> well, I think your way of doing it's much better it's better because you know it seems like you're very effective in being a pro but it's also that kind of I love the idea of where do you spend your energy in your life and and the fly by night guy is often probably pretty stressed about his situation whereas the thing <laughs> the thing that your world gives you is a sense of I'm in a safe place so I can put my energy into being a good athlete. Yeah, and I, I'm naturally a pretty stressed out, high-strung person, so <laughs> I can only imagine if I was truly flying by the seat of my pants, like yeah. scrounging for race nutrition and bottles at 9 p.m. the night before, which I just heard a pro was doing before a race, <sighs> like literally the night before. That would just not, that would not be a good day for me. <laughs> So you, you will have heard a few of our um, standard questions we have. I've added a few to this. Um, first one would be okay. uh, on the drugs front. How do you feel when you're lining up against someone who has had a positive drugs test or, or a ban in the past? Does does that register with you or not? I, oh, I'm absolutely disgusted. I hate to see them still in the sport. I'm the, I like to think I'm one of the nicest, politest guys out there. The one exception is when we have people who've served doping bans who are back racing, and there's a small number of them. And I'm not one for passive aggressiveness. I will tend to just tell them how I feel if they try and shake my hand or something like that. Um, it's not a good look for sponsors, so I keep that crap off social media and stuff. But um, I'm appalled to see them out there. The nice thing, though, the silver lining is that, damn, I'm never more motivated to beat someone than lining <laughs> up with a convicted doper. <laughs> and I've raced, I've raced them a couple times, and, oh, it's just, yeah, I'll turn myself inside out to beat them if it comes down to the, the run. Do, and do, you, it's, do you think there's much out there? And you will? Do I think? Yeah. Well, there's a handful. That have, there's a couple guys that have served suspensions and then are back racing. So we know that's a known quantity. Mm. I take the view that I don't. I don't think it's a huge problem in seventy point three. I mean, ultimately, I can only relate things back to my experience as a clean athlete. And I definitely see some guys that are on a whole other level than me. But there are very few performances that truly arouse my suspicion. Yeah. And that is to say, there are very few cases where I can't imagine that taking myself with with better training and perhaps better physiology you know a little bit more genetic giftedness better whatever better nutrition better what recovery anything I, I couldn't imagine reaching that level so there's only a few cases where i see something that seems so otherworldly that i go huh 
how is that possible without some some pharmaceutical help? Mm. Uh, the next question is around nutrition. What is your race morning breakfast and post-race meal? Race morning breakfast, I'm really flexible with. Um, I've had all kinds of different breakfasts, and I'm, I'm not too compulsive about having the exact same meal every time. Ideally, if I'm left to my own devices and have infinite choice, I would have like a banana and some kind of carbohydrate, like some kind of wheat bread or English muffin or something like that. Um, some peanut butter and maybe some raisins and dates and some kind of dairy, like a glass of milk or some yogurt or some cottage cheese. Nice. Um, and what do you eat during your race? Obviously, you're doing doing halves, so it's a bit different often this question is sort of Ironman related, but what, what do you eat during a half? Yeah, so EAS Sports Nutrition is my nutrition sponsor. They don't actually make what I consider uh, would be like a 70.3 appropriate formula to be pushing a high number of calories. They make an electrolyte product, which I do use. Um, that's myoplex hydrate. So what I'll do is I'll mix that in with some heavy duty calories in the form of maltodextrin and fructose. So I'm not using any off the shelf product. I'm actually mixing it myself, just buying bulk maltodextrin and bulk fructose. Mm. And, um, my understanding is that's based on some really good scientific research that no company is actually replicating in a product right now. There you go. There's a business opportunity for you. I keep keep pitching it to people, and I've I've yet to see a taker. It's too simple. All the nutrition companies like to have their their secret sauce with some kind of really unique factor that differentiates them. But frankly, I think most of it's BS. So I'd like to see something really simple out there with just a few ingredients. Uh, On the technology front, um, you you know, you're you're a physicist, so you probably like your numbers. But what technology do you use in, uh, in both training and also do you use it in racing, for example, power meters and things like that? Yeah, so Pioneer is my power meter sponsor, and DC Rainmaker, who's kind of the authority on this topic, yeah. just gave them the nod as the most technologically advanced power meter in the market, the most features and everything. Wow. Uh, I've written a whole bunch of different power meters over the years before working with them, and it's just super reliable. I do nothing to it all year. I change the battery once a year, whether it needs it or not, and uh, it just keeps on going. It seems very reliable, very consistent. So that's what I train with. That's what I race with. And I just signed a deal with Sunto. The Finnish watch company. So I've been testing out their new sport and Spartan Sport Wrist HR watch, which is pretty cool. Definitely a uh, step above Garmin in terms of features. So, and you, and you race with power and pace um, as well as train with it? I, I race with power. I do not run with a pace watch right now. I've never raced any distance, whether it's short course or 70.3 with a pace watch. I may start doing that. I think for Ironman, I will definitely be re- wearing a pace watch just because I'm told that that's kind of a must because mm-hmm. everyone goes out too hard otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I'll reevaluate that approach. But um, in training, it's certainly something I'm using every single run if I'm not on the treadmill. Cool. Uh, our traditional questions, wax or shave in terms of your legs? Shave, but I'm told I have to wax sometime. I'm really tempted. I'm saving come, up for it. Come over to my mate, side. Go, go to my side. Just keep them hairy, mate. That's what I do. Uh, facial moisturizer. Are you, are you someone who looks after your face? Um, not really. It's bad, I know. But I, I, I don't get a lot of sunlight, so that's good, right? Well, that's I good. This one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although chlorine. Uh, and if you were yeah. to do open marathon, were you quality trained for maybe a good six months, smash an open marathon, what do you think your time would be? Oh, six months of training? Hmm. Uh, 2.30. Uh, I think you can go quicker than that. Mate, we, 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 believe, we, believe, we believe in you. <laughs> I don't want to get called out after this, so okay, 225. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. Cool, awesome. Um, so what's, what's your next race on, or next couple of races on the horizon? Well, I'm trying to get my ass back in gear for tex- uh, 70.3 Texas in Galveston in two weeks. Man, that 12-hour time difference from Taiwan is really beating me up. Yeah. I'm, uh, I feel like yeah, I've that, That's the worst time difference, isn't day. it? 
and it's been yeah it's been <laughs> eight days now and i'm still feeling pretty wrecked so uh the photo shoot after was also really demanding, so I'm blaming it on that. <laughs> cool. So if, if guys want to follow you, obviously they can go to CodyBeals.com. Um, anything else you want to get out there about yourself or anything you've got coming up that people might be interested in? Yeah, one of my one of my most exciting sponsors, just a local company, Stock Performance, they just launched their new smart trainer. So oh. it's really awesome. It doesn't contact your wheel at all. It uses magnets. So that's oh. pretty revolutionary. I'm also working with them um, with their virtual wind tunnel technology. So... Three, it's 3D scanning coupled with computational fluid dynamics. It's very near and dear to my physics-y heart, mm. and uh, it's pretty awesome. So I haven't been to a conventional wind tunnel for a little while now. I've just been doing all my, tra- all my testing with them. So just explain that smart trainer a little bit. What's the name yeah, of the sure. stock? Yeah, so I, I just kind of gave a hand-wavy explanation about magnets. But yeah. it, So it, 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 it looks like a conventional trainer in that it, it contacts your bike on the skewer, on the rear skewer, mm. and... Then there's an array of magnets, and you need to have a metallic rim. That's kind of the one caveat. Mm-hmm. And um, the magnets don't actually touch your rim. They just induce an induction current in the rim, which creates resistance. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of magical, magic mm-hmm. of magnets. So the rim heats up just a tiny bit, and the mm-hmm. whole wheel acts like a flywheel. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is there's no tire wear. There's no noise. It's great if you live in, a par- in an apartment or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they had, a, they had a conventional dumb trainer for a while, and now they've just launched their smart trainer. And uh, it's pretty cool. It allows you to get on Zwift and other online training platforms. Awesome. Wicked. Oh, no, thanks so much for your time today and all the best for yeah, your, your racing the over the season. Love your blogging. Love the way you talk. You're very articulate. And uh, and we look forward love to seeing you. Love the way you talk, hey? Yeah. This is a romantic man. <laughs> and, uh, thanks, guys. It's been an honor. I could not have imagined that I'd actually be a guest on this show 10 years ago when I first listened to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. good to have you, mate. Awesome. Well, all the best with your season. And uh, fingers crossed you can uh, get out of uh, your winter conditions and get some outside time anytime soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Awesome. John, your thoughts? Oh, he's a great a conversation. He's a pro, isn't he? Man, he, he listens to the show, so got to yeah. be happy with that. Oh, when he's 18. Yeah. He knows their whole life story. Cody. He does. Oh, those were the he days. Know my kids. He'll know when my kids were born. With Annalise back in those days. Those she was helping ago. out at my race the weekend before last. Oh, yeah. She was my marshal, turn marshal. CodyBills.com is where you can check out all his work. And uh, just a great example. There's a template for a pro, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to, if you're someone listening to this, or you're Cody Bills ten years ago and you're 18, and you think I want to be a pro. Think this guy's my inspiration around how I run a business of being a pro. So it's really professional. I love it. You could see Bevan's eyes lighting up when he said, "I've got a spreadsheet open every oh, day." Oh, mate, he was speaking Bevan's, my language. Bevan's like drooling. Oh, I, I only do it once a week, John. He's every day. He's like next level. He's my bloody. He's the he's the mecca. Um, sponsor. Extreme endurance. If you're planning your season coming up, and if you've had any nutritional difficulties at races, and you it just really gets on my nerves when people don't have a nutrition plan. They just sort of go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and I'll, I'll have a few bars and a few gels and a few drinks. Get a bloody plan in place, especially yep. if you've been having any issues. And if, you've, if you're still trying to figure out, figure out the puzzle, there is no 100% correct answer. But if you've had a product that hasn't worked for you in the past, give uh, Fuel 5 uh, a crack. It's, uh, it's a product I've enjoyed, especially on the Big Island. I've enjoyed uh, taking it in on our Epic camps and stuff. They've got the Fuel 5, the Fuel 5 Plus. It does have a different flavor. It's got five fu- forms of fuel. You've got four carbohydrate fuel sources plus lactate. Uh, it's just a, a, a softer, fair, softer sort of light flavor. So check it out at xendurance.com. You've got the Fuel 5 and then the Fuel 5 Plus, which has got the caffeine. So probably wouldn't advise having the caffeine one like all the way through an Ironman, but it may be you have it at strategic times, either in a race or in, in training, to give you that uh, extra 
kick. So use the promo code IMTALK20 and you get 20% off. So if you've been having any nutritional problems or you just want a different flavor just to change it up a bit, um, we know we love the Extreme Endurance products, Extreme Endurance, Fuel 5 and Fuel 5 Plus as well as all the other fantastic products. Well, one of the things that's also, you're kind of just going back to this kind of um, journey of your athletic career. You know, like, like John, you know how your body works with nutrition now. Yeah, a, a bit of changes in different different environments. Yep. And that's why I sort of try different things, especially in, in Kona, and it works but just, really well. But I'm just thinking of the new person. A part of your journey isn't just kind of developing your physical side. It is learning your oh, nutrition God, game. yes. You know, because if you can get, it, get on top of that early, it's going to save you so much kind of hassle along the way so and you know like trying products like extreme endurance can help you just kind of figure out that formula and you know you do look at the experienced athletes and they do kind of know okay here's what i need to do here and you know it's, it's evolution but if we can get that right then it makes a massive difference here's a challenge every athlete this season when you're building up for your ironman make sure you do at least say three to four sessions we're basically like simulation sessions either a big long you know iron distance ride or like a half ironman simulation at ironman effort or something like that and just practice your nutrition plan for four or five you know probably four sessions leading into your race do exactly what you're going to do on race day guarantee it's going to help you significantly are you getting a good session you're going to be fueled well so you'll actually have a good training session but you can just go in with that reassurance you can train your stomach and if you've had any issues in the past try a few different things like fuel five uh, and you'll be on to a winner good times rock and roll xendurance.com remember check out the discount code uh jumbo we've got wanger of the week although i'm having problems with the page oh, are you are you uh, going to go to the page it's not showing the results oh dear so we can't do wanger of the week this week john it's we out can't so who's the person who arranged it for us? I'll get in touch with them. Um, okay. Don't know why that isn't issued. Why don't we just grab someone off uh, off our Strava page? Let's give them some love. Strava love, okay. We're yeah. doing Strava love. Okay, Bevan, uh, tell us about what you're going to do today while I get this in front Wait, of me. Wait a second, oh, you pull up Strava. What am I going to do, Jay? I've started doing yoga. Right. Because my hips are so tight. We're going to have a glorious day in Christchurch today. Degrees. Are you going to go cricket this weekend? No. No. Uh, you pull up someone, John. You need to be doing this quickly. I am. I am. Where do I find my groups here? Where do I find my groups? I don't know. I could go on this one here. Okay. Okay. This is great podcasting. People love it when we just do random crap. Um, one, Clubs. Two. Clubs. Race you. I'll race you to it. Here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm there. almost there. Yep. I'm there. I am talk podcast. Okay. Okay. We have got a, lead, a current leaderboard. Here we go. We'll use the leaderboard off here. So okay. uh, currently, I think this must be this week. Our leader overall is Paul Moore. He's done 11 hours and 46 minutes already this week. Longest uh, activity was AB. And uh, there we go. <laughs> That's about all we're going to get out of this week. This week's winger. <laughs> oh, hold on. No, last week. Last week. Last week. Paul Moore. Paul Moore, what are you doing? Give me more. Yeah. Paul, uh, that, give me more. No, that's Rob. Give me more. Oh. Uh, it says here he did 74 hours training last week. Whoa. He must be doing an ultra or something like that. Karen McRitchie was second with 30 hours 49. And Philip Sassy was third with 28 hours 51. Jim Plunkett Goal still looks like he must be running around America. He did 23 hours of running last week. Just when did that finish? Yeah. Man, that, that's, a, that's a journey, isn't it? Rob, give me more. Did 22 hours training. Go, Rob, give me more. Oh, I love it. Okay, John. Three, two, one. 
questions and answers. answers. Nat sent us through a question about body pump. Actually, I was introduced to your show a couple of months ago by my coach slash boyfriend as I'm currently training for my first Ironman in July, which is going to be Hamburg. I've learned lots from you both and now I have incorporated the 9-1 method into my distance training runs, which is working well and my boyfriend says training is on plan. I just need to stop going balls out in every training session. There's something about that, isn't there, John? Mm-hmm. Yep. In terms of training i understand the importance of muscle and conditioning however i'm a little bit confused over what is specifically best for triathlon as i consistently hear conflicting information my usual mc sessions would include pull-ups chin-ups dips press-ups abs squats general body weight training with sessions changing every four to six weeks twice weekly however i'd like to vary this and include my body pump my question is is body pump an effective and efficient training session for a want-to-be triathlete i used to do the class about 10 years ago but at that time it was more about toning as is where it's more of a specific to my training hope this isn't too daft. So explain what body pump is. So body pump is, most people don't know what pump is, but you're going to go into weights, into a gym, and it's a group fitness class, which is a weights-based fitness class based on high repetition, um, lower weights, um, and it is kind of more of a toning type. So is it free free weights, like dumbbells, or are you actually machines? Dumbbells, bars. Right. No, no, there's no machines. No, no, it's it's, it's all free weight stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got big muscle groups, you're going to do squats, back, clean and presses, rows, chest, and it's a good workout. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say, if you're doing, so it seems that what she wants, where does it fit in a, in a triathlete's world? Okay, so so I would say, first of all, your best bet is to get a PT and do specific work to the needs of your body. So that would be your best bet in the triathlon world, because if we, the thing we know about triathletes are, you the time for the body care work is pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. So by the time you've done your swim, bike, run, your time for things like yoga or, or more advanced stretching or rolling or strength work is often pretty minimal. And so I would say the first thing you want to do is body care work that's very specific to your needs. So I would say actually spending some money on a good personal trainer who has a good understanding around endurance sport would be the best way to do it. Uh, and they're probably going to get you doing a bit of work around TRX, some mm-hmm. bosable, um, you know, more stabilization work, more alignment work and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I would say pump. <sighs> it, it, like if you were going to weigh up say a body pump class with say a core class, so you have your CX work. See, I would say CX would come before pump. Mm. Um, but there, like I did pump when I did Ironman, and I think there was value to doing it because mm. it kept me strong, and I, you know, I didn't get injured a huge amount. Um, so I think that if if you're someone who hates weights and are never going to go into weights room, mm-hmm. and even if with best intentions, pumps better than nothing. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, it's a really good option if you know, and to do two classes a week would be really valuable for a triathlete. But it mm-hmm. is two hours of training, so yep. how, how do you fit that in? CX is the the other Les Mills program they've got, which is, you do CX, don't you? Yep. And yep. It, it's a great, particularly foundation movement for runners and mm. probably cyclists as well. Mm. Um, so CX, I would say, would probably come before pump. Um, but I would say ultimately you go pump if you don't like weights and it's the only option of doing strength. But probably a specific weights workout with a great P2 who can assess where you're at and the needs of your body is going to be more specific and based around the periodization of your year. So my two cents with this is um, you're weighing up so many different things here. So Bevan sort of said a PT, and I'd agree, doing those sessions would be great. There's a cost with that. And it's, I don't know, 
it might not be as enjoyable. So you've always got to weigh out these things. Mm. What's going to be absolutely the best thing for me for my athletic career? But then you've got to weigh out cost and you've got to weigh out also what you enjoy doing. And you kind of got to, and, and as Bevan said, periodizing it into the plan. So there's so many different little factors going in. But enjoyment is one of these things that I think a lot of people sometimes take away from their training to the detriment of uh, maybe their longevity. And then you find what happens is they test out to miss sessions mm. or they're not that effective when they're training. Mm. So you're not really hitting objectives. So as we even said, when it comes to doing core um, strength training, anything is better than nothing. Yeah, and, and that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? Most mm. athletes, triathletes don't do any strength work. So most people, as a minimum, I'd be recommending you, d- you do two 30-minute sessions a week of um, some core conditioning and then anything else on top of, above that great if you've got time and it depends on different people's different circumstances if you're somebody who's got 30 hours a week to train totally different you might incorporate in more but as a minimum you know for me at least is, is two two 30 minute core sessions and then in terms of your other stuff like Bevan said around the body pump and maybe your weight training and things like that that just needs to you need to figure out how that's going to fit into your plan so doing heavy weights work in the, the final 10 weeks leading into nine man probably not the necessarily the best thing to you're doing maybe in the off season there's a bit of preparation mm. work might be might be better so it's just about balancing acts so there's no it's like nutrition there's no perfect answer here but the general answer is you need to be doing something twice a week just on that if you are going to do pump and it's one of the, and it was funny actually i was talking to belinda when we were down in queenstown a few weeks ago and she was saying mm. oh, i might get back into pump and my message to Belinda was, <laughs> she wants to get a PT now. And I've said, yeah, pump, pump's great. Pump's great. <laughs> pump's great. Um, but often the downfall with the person who does pump all the time is they don't actually push the weight hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when I teach a pump class, I really try to drive people to challenge themselves with the weights because it's a kind of workout where if you get to the end of the track and you made it quite comfortably, you're kind of wasting your time. And I think for a lot of people doing that workout, that's how they get to the end of the track. Now, there is some benefit, but it should be a struggle. So if you are going to do pump, make sure you're choosing weights where you are really challenged and they should increase as time progresses. John, just a couple of quick things. Uh, just a lot of people have emailed, they love the interview with Jonathan Harry, uh, Johan mm. Harry, sorry. Lots of good feedback on that. Um, it's giving him a hard time about calling me Australian. Yeah, I was too. Yeah. But in fairness to him, the reason he thought I was Australian was that I went to his Australian agent. Mm. So in his mind, it was coming from Australia. And I did tell him I was from New Zealand, but I think, you know, just in his mind, it's it not the first time it's happened either no, for, for us. No. And, 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 and so that was that was not his fault. Um, and then and you kind of, you sort of let the first one go, and then it's been t- done two or three times, yeah. you go, oh, I probably should have pulled him up. That's yeah, all good. But it was interesting, actually. Mike, the Faber and Fox, Hewitson, who, who, this is a coincidence, he just sent through an email asking us about what we thought with the cricket, um, which we kind of touched on. Um, but then John, you had a nickname this week. Sorry? It's a nickname, but then to show you, you had his name there. There you go. Look, what are the chances Mike of that? The farmer of Fox. Look at that. So, Mike, you, you're well in our mind. Yes. You, yep. So that was just a random. John, patrons. We've got Paul, the creator, Yates. We've got Mike, the farmer of Fox, Hewitson. And Matthew, the Prince of Pain, Holtwick. Nice work if you want to become and a patron. If you want to become a patron, get on now because I'm doing the draw later on this week and cool. we'll be having it on next week's show. Cool. So if you want to go to Kona, A, you're supporting the show to start with. But B, you're in the draw to win a trip to Kona for later on this year. And C, you're a legend. And you get a nickname. Yeah, and you'd be cool for the rest of your life. And it's it's like a coffee a month sort of thing. Yeah, sort it out. Just do it. And if you're someone who says, oh, we should do that, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, John Sponsors. Extreme endurance. The electric buffer. And our patrons. And they include cool people like... 
Paul, Mike, and Matthew. John, what's your goss? What's your goss? I'm not under the weather today, Bevan. But I was out there. I was out there yesterday, doing it for the for the Canterbury Primary Schools duathlon. We had like over a thousand kids really? doing a duathlon out there. Where? It's out at Ruapuna, which is our local oh, yeah. sort of speedway. It's about a three k, three point three k circuit. Great to see, but it was just a lot of kids to a lot more than we normally get. Normally, it's maybe eight hundred, extra four hundred kids. Uh, but it was good to see so many out there. How did it go? It was it was pretty smooth. No major dramas. A few kids are just like they're riding along and you're riding past the crowd and they're literally just staring at the side of the crowd. I'm like, look forward, <laughs> look forward. Uh, Thomas was doing it. He got 21st, same placing that he got in the triathlon. So it was about out of about 200. So he was reasonably happy. Yep. Managed to crash on his dismount. Oh, he, no. he was sort of coming down the run. And I was sort of marshalling a bit on the run. And he had a few tears in his eyes and I thought, oh no. And he crashed on the dismount. Uh, other than that, it was good. And uh, I'm just looking forward to going to Australia now. Well, well, we are going to sports time, aren't we? It's a big sporting period because, A, we've got the Test Cricket in Christchurch. I'm going to, Joe and I are going on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And the Poms, who are currently one up in the series. Just just reminding our We can't business. lose. It's a two-two series. We can't lose, which is very good. Because we, apparently we've only beaten them ten, ten times. times. Yeah. So it's pretty significant for us to beat you guys. Um, so that's good. Then we've got, it's actually us against the Poms this weekend. Because mm-hmm. we've got Parker versus AJ. Oh, how are you going to watch that? This is the Boxing Unification World Championship this fight. This is big. So we have a guy in New Zealand. Has he got one belt or two? He's, he's got, got two. one. No, he's got one. one. And, and AJ, um, what's his He's name? got, Anthony Joshua's got like three. Four, he's got three. three. Yeah. And then, no, maybe he's got two. And then the other guy's got, so there must be four belts all together, is there? Yeah. And Joshua must have two, and the Wild has got one. Has he? I thought this was a unification. No, no, no. They all get it. Hasn't the American guy got one as well? Sure. Yeah. And so whoever wins this will fight Wilder, and it's total unification. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty, I I, I wouldn't put my life on it, but I put your life on it. (laughs) 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 How are you going to watch it, Bevan? Are you paying? paying, Oh, I'm paying, John. I'm paying. Bullshit. You can come out here Sunday morning. We're going to put it up on the big screen. Really? Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Bull crap. Oh, yeah. I'm paying 50 bucks. (laughs) No shit, because I'm like, I'm like, a, I don't think our guy's going to win. No. Cricket, we've got a good chance. Yeah. Cricket, we've got a pretty good cricket team right now, and we're at home, so that helps. AJ versus Parker. I'm coming around. Come <laughs> You're committed now. Yeah, 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 come around. We're going to yeah. we'll put on a big screen up there and make most of it. Yeah. Um, so, so, I don't think we can win, mm-hmm. but God, I want him to. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of also the thing about Anthony Joshua is he seems like the nicest guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you, you know, if if he was a, if he was a dork or a bit of a you know bit mm. of an Australian cricketer, you know, you yeah. might you might go, oh, you know, you really want him to lose just because he's a dick. But mm. he's he's not. He's actually a real nice guy. So it's one of those ones where the Kiwi guy you you would never put any money on him. Big upset. Yeah. But you'd love it if it happened, mm. um, and it'd be really, you know, be be pretty phenomenal stuff. So yeah, yep, yep. Here, it's pretty early, uh, but they're not fighting until about ten thirty in the morning. No, I, th- I think that after eight thirty. Mm. Big come around. Yeah, yep, um, I'm here. Yep, yep. Probably eight. I don't cost you fifty bucks at the door. <laughs> 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 and then the Warriors. Uh, Go the mighty Warriors. So Thomas told me, don't watch it anymore then, Dad. If they lose every time you watch, yeah, don't watch it. But they didn't lose, John. You gave up. I know. You showed no faith in the Warriors. Uh. How's training going, John? Training is... I take over something every day. What's what's the goal right now? I'm just... It's really this epic camp. Year, this year you don't have a goal. No, it's really epic camp France next year. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be running cross country all winter because Tom's running cross country. So I'll be I'll be out there doing that. My performances may be a little bit under par. How many years is it before Tom beats you? 
he's got some 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 time to go. He no, no, give me a prediction. I want a number. Ah, oh. so so we're talking beats me, not not beats my times, beats me. No, beats so you. So, so that moment where you're got a little bit older, he's got a little. He's, you know, like what moments that? Over what distance are we talking? Uh, what's that? Oh no, he'd be miles for ten. But if we talked like one k or something like a fifteen hundred, okay, he's we'll got much more chance. Um, I won't give him it till he's probably 16, 17, I would have so thought. What, but how is he now? 13. He's, uh, no, he's 10. He's 10 going Six 11. years. Yeah, and you'll yeah. be, what, 47? Mm. Okay. I'm going to keep that note of that. There we go. Keep there we are on episode 1000. <laughs> With one, episode 1000, we Tom versus John. <laughs> Tom versus John. That's yeah. a good ring to it. Um, so when do you go to Commonwealth Games? Next Wednesday. So we've got next week's show. And then I've got a couple of pre-recorded, or I've got a couple of interviews lined up. So next week we've got Matt Hansen, and then I'm hopefully getting an interview done with uh, Cam Worth, who is a bike course record holder in Ironman Hawaii. I've oh. got that lined up. I'll be doing that myself uh, some stage next week, because time zone's changed now, and it's really hard for us to do oh, European week. interviews. Yeah, it changes. Uh, like it's 6.30 in the morning, it's like 9.30 at night or 8.30 at night, so our Euro interviews are going to be harder. I, um, I start my marathon training next week. There you go. New York. <laughs> I've got something else to tell you afterwards. <laughs> you were very suspicious. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So slow build. Mm-hmm. A lot of time. I've started yoga. Mm-hmm. I am so tight, John. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I pulled my back a few weeks ago, and I, and I okay, my chiropractor is great. Oh my god! I got the best chiropractor. Have you ever heard of Stuart Craig? No. Stuart Craig's his chiropractor, the nicest guy. You go to Stuart Craig, Brett Tingey. You know Brett Tingey. Mm-hmm. Well, he works at the same office as Stuart Craig. Mm-hmm. He works. He's got a room there, and uh, and so Stuart Craig is this guy. You go the first time you go to him, you book an appointment. Say you book in at nine fifteen. Now you would be angry, John, because you're not getting in that mm-hmm. door till nine forty-five. Oh really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so I always book the first appointment of the day because that's the key to seeing Stuart Craig. Because if you go at twelve, yeah, you might not get in until two. Yeah. But he's the kind of guy that as soon as you walk in the door, you forgive him. Yeah. Because he's just a, he's the, the nicest guy you're ever going to meet, and he sits down with you, and he just he's a legend when it comes to chiropractic. Like seriously, mm-hmm. legend. So you, you go in there and he, 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 your 15-minute sessions last 30 minutes. Mm. You just understand that's the rule. So we are walking out from yesterday. He done clicked my back and it's all much better now. Walk out and there's other guys. The next guy, he goes, you, you're in. And he goes, you, you sit in Saddam Hussein, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and this old guy stands up and he goes, see, you're in. He looks like Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> and this old guy just gets up and walks. He goes, oh, I love telling him he looks like Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> just cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> and this poor guy just walks in. And he goes, oh, we took the head off that guy. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, it was a highlight of my day, John. Oh, God. Uh, hopefully the guy was, wasn't too precious. So anyway. Yeah. Um, any other goss, John? Uh, no, that's it. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick hard. hard.